Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is Kirk Damon. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at Kirk DMN. We are still doing our edamame episodes. Kirk uh, had sent me some content about uh, Civilization VI and the nature of complexity in video games, why we like it so much, what appeals to us about it. And uh, I'm going to play his content first, and I'm going to circle back because he asks a question, as, as we do in this podcast, Podcast, that he wasn't quite sure how to answer, how to tie it back into a legal topic. And I think I have some thoughts on that after listening to it. So I'm going to give you Kirk's piece up front, and I'm going to circle back and try to answer his question. And then he and I will probably have a phone call later to talk about it. Maybe we'll circle back to this topic uh, at some point in the future uh, together when we get a chance. So anyway, here's Kirk, and then I'll be back afterwards. Hey, all So I guess I am uh, recording another Edamame episode here. Um... I'm currently sitting outside. It's the quietest place I can get to, but uh, we have some construction going on nearby, and obviously we have the uh, sounds of nature, so you may get uh, some background noise and conjecture with this. Hopefully it's not too bad. But in any case, I did want to sort of sit down and record another one of these. I have a bunch of topics of the things I've been wanting to talk about for a little while that I just think are kind of interesting. But one's definitely stood out. Um, this one definitely follows on the geeky topic. That's um, what we have, and a little bit less on the law. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware, but uh, Epic Games has been putting out free video games for download uh, from their, I think, primarily back catalog. Uh, for at least a number of weeks now, I found out a few weeks ago that Civ Six, Civilization Six, um, was one of those games that they were going to put down. I was able to get it, um, which was great. You know, we've talked about Civilization Six on this show before uh, repeatedly. I know Ben plays it a lot. I had never played it. Um, I think I played Civilization One way back in the day, <laughs> but back before there was a one after the name. Um, but I never played Six, and so this was a great time for me to be able to get it and to try playing it. So. Anyway, I downloaded it um, and started trying to play it. What I wanted to talk about and what I thought was so fascinating about the game generally, I figured being a turn-based game, it would be something where, one, I wouldn't feel the need to be able to you know, sit down and play you know, forever um, or until the game was over because obviously the games take a very long time, but it would be a, an easy game to stop and start. I discovered very quickly it was not. Um, it was instead a, a game that I had very much difficulty wanting to stop playing. I kept wanting to take just one more turn, just one more turn uh, to see where it would go. The other thing I very quickly discovered is I had no idea how to play it. Um, very early on, I was immediately sort of having trouble. I was playing on some of the early... I played originally on the default settings and just got nowhere. I was getting utterly crushed uh, by the other civilizations. I couldn't really figure out what was going on. I kept having major problems. Um, you know, I had a major housing crisis at one point in time. I think I had a food crisis at one point in time. Uh, one time, I literally got overrun by barbarians because um, I couldn't figure out how to get my military units uh, in a way that could actually attack. So I had sort of a number of failures at the beginning. Um, I mentioned this to Ben, and he uh, did a series of videos for me, um, sort of showing initial stuff on how to play. What was interesting is in I saw I watched uh, I'd say probably a half or so of the videos. Um, I think I watched m- at least part of most of them, but I didn't watch all of all of them, uh, or all, potentially all of any of them. Um, but 
What I did think was very interesting about it was it did not take long for me to understand some of the basics, but it really was something you had to talk to somebody about uh, in order to have any idea how to do it. So the example is it, you know, I didn't even realize there was a menu uh, thing where I could look and see, um, you know, what the housing situation was or what my food situation was and that these were actually very easy to obtain statistics, but I just didn't know where to look for them um, and had not realized that they were there or what they were. Um, the other thing I really was very quickly bumping into and what I discovered, so after, after we'd, we'd done a few of these videos, I was able to definitely advance and play a game where I was, I was much more productive. And what I intended to do in conjunction with that, I figured potentially the easiest way to win was to go for a science victory. It was at least the most straightforward. Um, and so I started going to go for a science victory. I was leading science the entire way. I basically put everything I had into developing science. Um, I had... I was pretty much way ahead um, and then ended up with one of my neighbors deciding to attack me. Um, it was not a, you know, it was a very one-sided battle. I, I won fairly, uh, uh, you know, quickly um, and was able to put it aside. But by the time I'd sorted that out and where I was, I had fallen behind on the science and I could not figure out how to catch up. Um, I was having production issues and what it really taught me was just how interrelated all the things were. So my problem was I was hugely technically advanced and I had no industry to produce any of it um, because I'd focused everything on science. And that's sort of what I just want to talk about today. I thought was really intriguing about um, civilization as a, as a game series. And what we talked about is how much it requires the interrelated balancing of a whole bunch of different things. Um, you really are watching all these various different categories. You're trying to make decisions that balance a huge number of different things. And the game is somewhat relentless because you've got the other players um, you know, coming at you. You've got just the progression of time. Oh, and the other problem I had when I was trying to do the scientific victory uh, where I had gotten to, I suddenly could not find oil. Um, there was literally no oil on the map I could get to um, that was anywhere near my civilization and was not underneath somebody else's civilization. And part of my problem was I had not entirely figured out how I traded for it. Um, I was trying to trade for it, and I couldn't get anybody to uh, trade it to me. Um, I also didn't really know how much I needed, so that was also um, one of the uh, the other sort of big things. So anyway, that was the thing I thought was really interesting, and what it led me to think about, and a lot of just what I wanted to to talk about, I think a bit today is not just specifically the items of, of Civilization VI and and what it meant as a game, but the idea of one, games gaining increased complexity um, and the difficulty with them, as well as the sort of, um, I guess I'd say sort of the world having increased complexity and that our games having increased complexity at the same time. And particularly when it comes to games, the thing that I thought was just so interesting about it was why do people play Civilization VI? So just so you know, I did actually continue on after that. Um, the next time I did it, I've been, I've been playing the Sumerian Empire, by the way, um, as my universal empire. And I managed to continue on and at this point in time got a cultural victory, uh, which I really got with with no difficulty whatsoever. Um, I was also, I think, well on the way to a scientific uh, victory, but I obtained the cultural victory right away. Now, part of the reason I actually went for cultural victory in conjunction with this is that I'd figured a little bit more about how a number of the sort of great people worked and things along those lines. But what what but the what I sort of started this this thought with and where I was going and hopefully this isn't too rambling I got to get interrupted here uh, just briefly um, had to do with why do people play this game because it's so complex um, why do we think it's fun 
to sort of deal with this thing that requires all this record keeping, all this stuff to, to keep track of, and all this learning associated with it. Um, so when you really think about it, looking at Civilization VI, why do I want to do something that involves this much complexity, this much evaluation, this much having to just generally deal with it, um, as opposed to doing something that's a little more mindless? I think a lot of times when we look at the idea of playing video games. We I see them as potentially being kind of mindless entertainment. Uh, I mentioned it before on the show and, and stuff like that. You know, one of the, the games I play on a pretty regular basis is uh, World of Tanks Blitz. Um, and in that game, it's in some sense, it seems a little more cathartic, you know, as to what it is. You're obviously, you know, out there, you know, <laughs> shooting at other players, getting shot at yourself. Uh, it, it has a little more of the sort of, you know, cathartic nature of, I think, video games. But it still has a lot of complexity, you know, trying to angle your tank correctly, knowing where to hit on an op- opposition, uh, knowing, you know, what kind of shells to use. There's still all sorts of complexity. Why are we fascinated by this complexity of games? Um, and we seem to like to play games that are very complex. Um, now, there's obviously the idea of them being very hard. You know, we like things that are hard. The other game that has just recently started um, in our household uh, is about four weeks ago. Um, my wife had the bright idea, and we found it. We found uh, my old PlayStation 2, which has actually always been uh, connected to um, the uh, one of our TVs that we don't use very often. And we got out the guitars for Guitar Hero. Um, and it was because uh, my son happened to find them. Uh, and the controllers down, they were sort of, you know, stored uh, downstairs out of the way. And he found them and was wondering what they were for. So we got out Guitar Hero. Um, the kids are not thoroughly addicted. Um, but it was one of those, I was looking through various things in Guitar Hero. I was trying to remember which songs appeared where. And one of the jokes is my daughter does play guitar. And so it's I, I regularly have her pick on her music teacher in conjunction with trying to get him to teach her Freebird. Um, well, needless to say, anybody's aware, uh, Guitar Hero, um, I think we're playing three. Currently, I don't know which one it is. Or actually, it's two. I think it's Guitar Hero 2. Um, the final song is Freebird. Um, and... I was looking up to see, make sure I knew which Guitar Hero was on um, and things like that. And we've been trying to work our way to get to it. But in the course of doing it, I bumped into, you know, a number of YouTube videos of people playing, you know, Freebird on Guitar Hero on Expert perfectly. And it struck me. Why would you spend your time doing that? Um, you know, I understand the idea of like wanting to play it, wanting to, to get at least through it and survive it to be able to beat it. But why perfectly? What are you trying to do? You know, th- it's a very long song. Um, you know, just playing it requires a significant amount of time investment, much less the amount of time you have to spend practicing to do it. Why do we spend all this time practicing, all this time learning about things that don't really matter? And in particular, why do we do this for video games? And it, it, it just continually struck me. I look at it and say, you know, yes, there's chess grandmasters who study chess all the time, who do nothing other than study chess. But at the same time, it's almost like a job for them. I think the average person does not study Monopoly. Um, or even if you were to take, you know, more complex um, board games, they're not going to study Settlers of Catan. Um, but yet we, we study video games. We watch YouTube videos on how to be better at playing video games. We, you know, put huge amounts of investment in understanding this. We, you know, talk with friends. We learn what it is. What is it about video games where we seem to enjoy the complexity um, of them and 
we're willing to play with the complexity and does it have something to do with you know society as a whole um, or anything along those lines obviously the world has gotten a lot more complex it's gotten a lot more complex in the last few months and just figuring out how to record these podcasts but you know our world has become a lot more complex we have a lot more you know electronic devices in on a regular basis um, there's you know reports out all the time about how you know we're getting information overload our, our bodies and our minds are not necessarily adapted to confront all this information if we look at it and say there's all this concern of the fact that information is coming at us in huge amounts, why are we so fascinated with playing video games where we have to absorb large amounts of information, where we have to process large amounts of information? What, where does this come from? And I don't have an answer. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I have an answer in conjunction with this, but it was just that kind of thing that struck me. Um, why is it that we have sort of this this extreme fascination for complexity? And again, I think it's it's particularly true of our video games. Um, I mentioned on the show as well. The the other big hobby I have, obviously, I'm a, I'm a Warhammer Forty Thousand um, tabletop war gamer. I have been for um, over twenty years now. Um, getting started with it, I originally was a collectible card game player, uh, but then got into it. Where is it that, you know, why do we sort of, you know, that, that's a game that's also has a, a significant amount of complexity, but I don't think we necessarily seek it out there. I kind of look at it and say, hey, we seek out some storylines. I think the complexity that people add in a game like that more has to do with creating stories um, than with actually learning, I think, game specifics and stuff like that. At the same time, then I also look at collectible card games. And the uh, the idea of people learning all about collectible card games and, you know, learning all the, the rarities of the cards, learning the complexity, why do we have this fascination with complexity in our hobbies? And like I said, I don't have a, an answer to it. Um, I don't know if other people think this is true, but it's, it's one of those where it seems to me like many of our games nowadays involve complexity. It involves particularly uh, around video games and the complexities of video games. Um, you know, games like Minecraft, which are essentially infinitely complex. Um, and, you know, anybody who's played Minecraft knows there doesn't come with an instruction manual. You generally have to find how to play first off. And then you're, you're constantly seeking out how to do things and how to develop things. Um, is it something about the video game format that really gets us interested in conjunction with this, uh, excited about the, you know learning the complexity and doing it? And if that's true, why can't we harness that uh, for doing other things that may be complex? Um, or is it is it a, a symptom of something that everything else in our life is more complex and we seek out complexity? But anyway, that's just what I want to talk about. So it's primarily this was my my Civilization Six episode, I guess. Um, but I want to talk briefly about it. I just thought it was a very intriguing possibility. If anybody has any thoughts, uh, things about it, obviously feel free to communicate them to us. Uh, I may tie this into something legal sometime later in the future, but I wouldn't count on it. Uh, I was primarily just wanted to talk about you know having now experienced Civ Six um, and that we've obviously talked about on the show. So anyway, I'm going to sign off on this Edamame episode. I will be recording some more of these here. I don't know when they're all going to come out. We're going to you know, put them together however we feel like. Uh, but anyway, uh, for now, I'm signing off. So there you have Kirk's thoughts on this, and I had a couple thoughts of my own. Uh, like Kirk, as Kirk mentioned, I played Civilization VI quite a bit. I've played since the days of Civ One. I've played every version. I've bought every expansion. Uh, I was the kind of player who just played purely for the fun of playing and winning easily uh, until the last couple expansions. I only ever played on like the, the basic difficulty levels, so I could just cruise through the game and crush all my opponents and, and, and kill some time, basically. Uh, with Civ 4, 5, and 6, I started to try to actually get good at the game, really learn the mechanics, and, and play better. 
and the game has multiple difficulty levels, uh, and on the hardest levels, the, you know, the, you can only do so much with the AI. So the way they make the game more difficult is to just stack the deck against you. They give the AI uh, opponents all kinds of ridiculous advantages that basically puts you really far behind at the start of the game, and you've got to manage your resources very carefully to get caught up and, and then overtake and surpass the AI. Uh, that highest level is called Deity Level. Uh, I've, I've won three or four games in that level. I've never won a military victory that way, but I've won science victories, culture victories uh, on, on that difficulty level uh, a couple times. It's, it's not easy, and it's not even possible to win every game that way. Uh, so even, even the best players sometimes lose on that level. So I'm pretty happy with myself uh, that I actually was able to, to get to that level of skill. Uh, but Kirk Race is a good point. Why bother? Uh, why, why bother getting so good at something so stupid? Um, I, I've got a couple theories on, on why games with that kind of complexity appear to us, and it's, it's not just civilization and turn-based games. I, I think it's an inherent in, I think it's something to do, we're going to get kind of philosophical here, but I think it's got something to do with um, the appeal of having a predictable universe and predictable rules. You know, a video game is a game that is a, essentially a sandbox of defined complexity, right? It, it appeals to us in the same way that really the law does. Uh, every video game is sort of an artificial universe unto itself, uh, governed by rules that you have a decision maker, the computer, uh, and how it's programmed with those rules, and the computer applies whatever those rules are consistently every time, rigidly every time, and unyieldingly. Whether the outcome is fair or not, whether you're exploiting a bug or not, uh, the computer does exactly what it's programmed to do. And that's an experience, that's a kind of predictability that we get nowhere else in life. Uh, even games that feature a heavy RNG component, random number generator or, or randomness, uh, like a game like poker, the randomness is what adds a sense of dramatic tension and, and interest of not knowing what's going to happen next. But you do know what the universe of things are that could happen. It's very rare in a video game that, that something's going to happen functionally or in terms of play mechanics that is just totally unexpected. You know, you may get random drops from monsters or from loot boxes. Uh, you may get a, an awesome card on the river in poker. But you know what the universe of cards are that you can get. You know you're going to get some kind of loot drop. You may not know exactly what it's going to be. But the randomness is in what you get, not the fact that you're getting it. That's not the way the real world works. We don't know what we're going to get every day. And although we live in a world governed by laws and rules, even those systems do not work consistently. At the end of the day, the, de the, de the decision makers uh, are not computers rigidly applying rules, whether it's fair or not, allowing us to exploit loopholes, although some people do get away with that. But the purpose is to is to achieve justice, right? That's, that's you know, in theory, what the law is all about, is, is having rules that are fair, and we have people in charge of administering them so that that they aren't applied in ways that are unfair or contrary to their intent. You know, the video game doesn't have that aspect. So that's something we get in a video game that we don't get anywhere else. A world that has an artificial set of, of rules we can learn and memorize, and then we can min slash max and exploit. And on some level, I think that's also why um, other types of games appeal to us. Games like poker, you know, the whatever card you're going to get is, is the card you're going to get. All you can do is min and max your chances. Of, of winning each hand, but there's still some randomness involved. Yet, there is a skill there that you can develop. As, as uh, Matt Damon's character says in Rounders, there's a reason why the same you know couple dozen people are always in the final table at the World Series of Poker. They're not the luckiest people in the universe,
universe, it's a skill. And I think it's the same with, with video games. You know, why, why do we like doing it? Because it's the only place in our lives where we can develop a skill like that, where we're not going to have something arbitrary or, or unfair happen to us that, that destroys the progress we've made. We can always just save the progress and get up and walk away. So I think video games offer a unique opportunity to play in a universe governed by rules consistently and predictably while still having a level of randomness that provides dramatic tension, uh, interest, and and uh, excitement and fun. So that's, that's sort of my thinking on that. Likewise, I think that's also why we enjoy games so much that this used to just be a role-playing game thing, but games where you start off with nothing and then through your time spent playing, you develop more skill and more power and the game becomes in some ways easier or rather the, the mundane and tedious challenges become easier to overcome and, and what you're facing is a more sophisticated, complicated challenge. Role-playing games are like that. You start with a character who typically has nothing and through doing quests and interacting with, with NPCs and building up relationships, and developing skills, your character gets more powerful to the point where you brush off lesser monsters and don't even worry about it. Whereas at the beginning of the game, you know, a, a, you know, a character could trip over a stump and die because, again, role-playing games are, are, you know, the rules can be arbitrary sometimes. The results aren't necessarily fair. Um, and, and likewise, you see those elements of role-playing games have worked their way into basically every game we play now. It, you know, even playing like a like a PGA golf game now, the characters that you play, you make your avatar like in a role-playing game, and you allocate points and stats, and you save your progress. All all games kind of have this aspect now. So we like two things: we like this complexity that comes with playing in this universe, and we like the advancement. And that as we overcome the the earlier levels of complexity you open up the opportunity to engage in new levels of complexity. And Kirk mentioned Minecraft. I was, as I was listening to his piece, I had the same thought. In Minecraft, you literally start out with nothing, and your character is punching a tree with his fist to get a piece of wood to start making basic tools. And the server that uh, me and my kids play on, and a, a couple of people from the office, actually, uh, you know, we, I started the server around Christmas time, and everybody starts off with the same thing, nothing. You're punching trees to make a, a wood tool and now I've got like this giant hacienda and there's a city I've built next to it and, and all kinds of other stuff uh, and same with everybody else and it's that sense of you know when you first start playing you're terrified of, of, of one night because your character is so weak you couldn't even fight you know manage a basic fight with a weak zombie and after you've played for you know a couple days you know, it's, it's a trivial challenge, and now we're building crazy stuff. You're, you're building crazy, complicated things, and the challenge is no longer the survival. It's um, it's what, what, what kind of amazing things can you build while also dealing with the physics of the universe. And in that sense, Minecraft basically turns into a really complex uh, three-dimensional block editor, uh, and it's it's really interesting and uh, and strange, but it's it's fun. Everybody everybody likes it. So that's sort of my theory on that, and that's my tie-in between the complexity and the law. The law doesn't give us that kind of predictability. Uh, you know, a jury is unpredictable in, in what it can do, and not in the same way a hand of poker is. And there's also not that much certainty. I think there's a popular misconception amongst non-lawyers that the law is some 
sort of uh, book of incantations, and once you know the magic language to use, you you speak you speak the words, and and from the government issues a justice. I mean, that's that's not really how it works. You know, there's there's no there's no magic language to use in most cases. Now there are some areas that have magic language. Patents is one. Uh, estates, uh, trusts and estates are another. Uh, there are some of those things, but that's not what you go to law school to learn. You go, you go to law school to learn how to deal with the unpredictability of the law and how to how to develop the judgment and, and do the research to understand how it's likely to work or, or what's going to happen. But like I said, the law doesn't give you the kind of certainty you get from, from a video game. And since we live in a world governed by laws, the world in turn doesn't work that way. Certainly the natural world doesn't. Anybody who spent any time outside knows that. And although we like to think that living in civilized society, the law imposes that kind of predictable order, it, it does to some extent, but there's also a level on which it simply does not. And if, you know, I'm sure all of you have seen a court case come out before where you thought, well, that, how, how can that be? That can't possibly be fair. So there's, there's a subjectiveness element to the law and how we interpret the winners and losers of court cases, whether we think the outcome was just or not. That, just, that, that concept doesn't apply to a video game. You go into the game knowing what the rules are, knowing how they're going to be applied. And if you lose, it's because you didn't know the rules well enough, or you didn't navigate them well enough, or you just plain got unlucky. And and it's, it's really hard, except in the case where you're just unlucky, it's really hard to get too bad out of shape about that. Not that people don't get mad when they lose games, but uh, it's, it's hard to get upset by that because, you know, you knew what the rules were. And if you get beat, it's because you just had a bad day or the other guy's better. Um, or maybe you get a bad beat on, the, on a, a bad poker draw. But, you know, people who play games like that professionally, uh, they, they know what they're getting into. And it's, it's you know, the, you can see it on their face in like a, a game of poker, the World Series of Poker. Nobody wants to lose, but they all understand that there is still an element of randomness and that, you know, the good players do what they can to maximize their chances, but you still do have to get a little bit lucky. So that's my thinking. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention uh, related to Kirk's topic about uh, the video games being complex, also a legal topic. I've, we've talked about this a few times before. It's, it's interesting to me, and I haven't really thought through this enough to have fully formed uh, strong opinions on it, but these games, RPGs, especially online RPGs, have these big databases of objects or items, uh, the things that you can get, right? And, and a lot of games have this now. It's not just RPGs. And the the collection of what those things are is often not well documented by the creators of the game. Uh, in fact, it's rarely documented at all. And in some instances where it's random, it's impossible to document because you could get anything. Uh, the, the, equip, the, the drops are generated randomly on the fly. So what happens is the, the player communities develop uh, databases based on what, they, what drops you get from where and how often. And uh, a lot of time and effort goes into developing those. And I've often wondered where the copyright is in those. In, in databases, you, you can get a copyright to a database. Data by itself is not normally copyrightable. A fact, for example, is not copyrightable. You can't copyright your name and address and phone number. But the selection and arrangement of data into a database can be copyrightable if it satisfies the copyright requirements, one of which is originality. You have to have originated the data yourself and not copied it from somebody else. Uh, and then two, there has to be some minimal level of creativity in the selection and arrangement. Certainly from the point of view of the game designer, there is that level of creativity in selecting and arranging the objects that will drop in the game. Um, now, it's debatable, I think, whether the random drops are 
protectable because nobody designs those. That kind of gets into the monkey selfie case where the programmers made the decisions that, that set the conditions for the, select, the, the, the universe of objects to be created or for the, you know, the creative output to result, but they didn't push the, the button on the shutter. You know, they didn't take the picture. The monkey did. Uh, and the same thing with the computer. The, the players were there and the AI generated the output, not the developers. So is there really any copyright in that? I think that's debatable. Uh, but there's also a question in my mind as to whether the third-party databases put together by the players could be additionally or separately copyrightable apart from what the developers might own because the players have also put some effort into it. The thing is, the players developing the third-party databases, they, they put effort into the selection and arrangement in terms of you know, um, going out and getting the information. I guess there's, there's elbow grease in that. There's, there's some manual labor, you might say. But they didn't pick out the names of the objects or the icons or the stats or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the, what they're doing is more discovering existing data as opposed to generating new data. So my hunch is that the creators of these third-party databases probably don't have a strong copyright interest. That's not to say they wouldn't have any, uh, but I think it would be certainly tough to assert uh, because I think if you if you were to do that, you'd, you'd draw the ire of the game publisher who's not going to want somebody else claiming any kind of a copyright interest in uh, the, you know, the collection of objects or, or loot you can get from the game. So again, I'm, just, I'm kind of riffing in real time here. I haven't really thought that through much, but Kirk's, uh, Kirk's monologue gave me that thought and I wanted to just explore it a little bit uh, on the podcast here. Uh, so that's all I've got for my part. So I'm going to wrap it up. Um, we've got more content coming. I've got, I think, six more total episodes that either Kirk has sent or I've got kicking around in my head that I want to uh, get done here. So uh, we'll try and get those out to you uh, in due course. I think that's it. So, you know, all the usual stuff. Uh, like the podcast, spread the message, uh, tell other people about it. If you like this episode, uh, follow us on the platforms and give us reviews. Um, so that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Borum, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 